Good evening and welcome to our Bible study. We are continuing and Lord willing finishing the Bible study that we've been doing for quite some time now, uh, Reasons to Believe. I believe this may actually be number 18 in the series, uh, but hopefully this is going to wind that one up. And we've been looking the last few sessions at the topic of fulfilled prophecy. And we looked at a number of prophecies, I think close to 60, that were made in the Old Testament concerning the Messiah. And we saw how each and every one of them was fulfilled by Jesus. And the writers of the New Testament were very careful to record how those scriptures were fulfilled to a T in Jesus Christ. We've now come to one final prophecy which encompasses not only the period of time leading up to the birth of Jesus Christ, but it covers his death, his resurrection, and it even covers future events that are yet to be fulfilled. And this is an extremely important prophecy. Uh, if you've been with us for any length of time, you've probably heard us teach on this in other settings as it relates to end times events, but it is really a powerful prophecy that I felt I'd like to finish this whole study with. And it's found in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. And this prophecy is sometimes referred to as Daniel's 70 weeks. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 24 down to the end of the chapter, verse 27. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know and understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Now, if you are following along in the notes that we have made available on our website, and again, that is www.new-life-ministries.com, 
ministries.org. Both the notes and all of the recordings of these studies are available there. We are now in part six, entitled Fulfilled Prophecy, and we are on page 34, if you are following along in those notes. Again, this prophecy that we've just read was made approximately 600 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. So it's quite an amazing series of predictions that Daniel makes here. And we want to take this verse by verse and try to break it down. Uh, Depending on your translation, it talks about 70 weeks, or as we read here in the NIV, 70, and then in quotation marks, sevens. And what Daniel is actually speaking of here are not weeks of days, but weeks of years, periods of seven years. And so it's called the 70 weeks, although it's actually 70 times seven, or a total of 490 years that Daniel is prophesying about. So the sevens, or the weeks here, are actually periods of seven years. A couple of important things to sort of frame this whole prophecy, and remember, whenever we're trying to interpret or understand Scripture, we need to look very carefully at all of the context and understand to whom the Scripture or the prophecy is being addressed or referenced. And in this case, verse 24 gives us some important information. It says 77s, or 70 weeks, are decreed for your people and your holy city. So, of course, Daniel, being a Jew, it's a clear reference to the Jewish people and their holy city, which any Jew would understand to be referring to Jerusalem. So this is specifically a Jewish prophecy given to the people of Israel through their prophet Daniel, and the setting here is the holy city. And we're told also, 77s are decreed for your people, and your holy city, and then it gives a whole series of purposes or things that would be accomplished in that 490-year period. To finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So it's kind of a long list of things that will be accomplished as this entire prophecy is fulfilled. In verse 25, we read, Know and understand this, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It, 
referring to the city, will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. So the first prediction here is concerning the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And this, of course, is referring to what we read about in the books of Nehemiah and Ezra following the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians at the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. And we touched on that whole portion of biblical history at the start of this section on prophecy. It was predicted that after the destruction of Jerusalem and the children of Israel went into captivity for a period of 70 years, at the hand of King Cyrus of Persia, they would be brought back to Jerusalem and they would again restore and rebuild both the city and the temple. And you can read the details of that in Nehemiah and Ezra. This gives us some more insight into that process of the rebuilding of Jerusalem. Daniel predicts that it would take seven sevens, or seven weeks of seven years, 49 years in all. And it says specifically, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and then another 62 sevens. Let's talk about the first seven sevens or 49 years. In Nehemiah chapter 2, and we're not going to go there, but you can look this up on your own, you read about King Artaxerxes' decree. And amazingly, we're given specific dates in the books of Nehemiah and Ezra concerning this whole process of rebuilding. And there's also mention made of this in Second Chronicles chapter 36. <clears throat> we know that Artaxerxes' reign began in the year 465 B.C. Again, that's before Christ, 465 years before Christ. And we learn in Nehemiah 2, verse 1, that Artaxerxes' decree came in the 20th year of his reign. How amazing all of this history is preserved in the scriptures, and we've talked at length about how carefully God preserved these Old Testament scriptures for us and even confirmed in Dead Sea Scrolls that were found that these are indeed the reliable, authentic scriptures, very similar to what was originally written down. In the year 465, Artaxerxes begins his reign in the 20th year of his reign, or in the year 445 B.C., he issues the decree to rebuild Jerusalem. So, this is the first part of Daniel's prophecy. From the time of that decree till the completion of the rebuilding, 
it would take seven sevens, or 49 years. Which brings us up to the first of Nisan, that's the name of the month in Hebrew, or it would be our March 14th. And the rebuilding took exactly 49 years to the day, excuse me, to the day as predicted by the prophet Daniel. It gets more amazing than that, however. There would be 62 sevens after that first period of seven sevens until the anointed one. A very clear reference to Jesus, to the Christ, to the Messiah. And let me read this again. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It, Jerusalem, will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. We read about all the troubles they went through, particularly in the book of Nehemiah, enemies that opposed that rebuilding process. And there was a long 13-year delay where they quit. They stopped building. But in the end, the entire city and temple were rebuilt after 49 years. Now, let's look at this 62 sevens, or 434 years. Daniel predicts that from the time of the completion of Jerusalem's rebuilding, we can count off 434 years until the cutting off of the Anointed One. In other words, his crucifixion at the cross. If we calculate these 69 weeks of years, the seven to rebuild the temple and the other 62 leading up to the crucifixion of the anointed one, we have 483 years. And again, we're counting from the first of Nisan, in other words, March 14th, 445 B.C., Now, if you want to do the math, you can, but I've done it for you in the notes. The Jewish year is 360 days, not 365. So we need to take 483 years times 360 days in each year, and we come up with the number in days, 173,000. 880 days in all to fulfill this 69 weeks from the time of Artaxerxes' decree until the time when Messiah, the Anointed One, would be cut off. So starting with March 14th, 445 B.C., if you add 173,880 days It places the day that Jesus Christ made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem shortly before his crucifixion at April 6th, A.D. 32. That's April 6th, A.D. 
32. And this is in perfect harmony with all historical accounts of the date of Jesus Christ's crucifixion in Jerusalem. And when Jesus enters Jerusalem just prior to his death, notice how he rebuked the Jews in Jerusalem for failing to recognize the time of God's visitation to them. I believe, I can't prove it, but I believe he's clearly referring to this prediction that Daniel made. Experts in the scriptures would have known and been able to calculate the very date from the time of Artaxerxes' decree up to the time of the cutting off of the Anointed One. And here's what Jesus says in Luke 19, verses 41 to 44. And you'll see as we read this, the setting is his entry into Jerusalem, just as he's about to be cut off or crucified. Luke 19, from verse 41 to 44. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. He's referring to what would take place about 35, give or take a few years later, with the destruction of Jerusalem at the hand of Titus. Verse 44, They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another. Because, and here's the part I want you to listen to, you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Amazing. You did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. I believe what Jesus is saying is, if you really were good students of prophecy, and you were following carefully how many of the prophecies have been fulfilled in my life, I'm about to fulfill a big one in my death now, because even the date of my being cut off in Jerusalem was predicted 600 years ago by the prophet Daniel. In this portion that we've just read in Luke 19, Jesus, first of all, as we mentioned, he confirms the destruction of Jerusalem foretold by Daniel. Remember, in the prophecy that we're looking at in Daniel 9, Daniel went on to say, the ruler who will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So not only does Daniel predict the rebuilding of the destroyed Jerusalem after the Babylonian invasion, but he predicts another destruction of the city that was literally fulfilled in A.D. 70, about 35 years after 
Jesus spoke these words. As Jesus is entering into Jerusalem, he is confirming the prophecy of Daniel, not only the destruction of the city that was about to come, but also his prediction that Jesus the Messiah was about to be cut off exactly according to Daniel's timetable. So, after the crucifixion of Jesus took place within days of this passage that we've just read, 69 of Daniel's 70 weeks have now been fulfilled. So the first 69 weeks of his prediction are now history. The temple was rebuilt just as it was stated. The temple was again destroyed, the city again destroyed at the hands of Titus in AD 70. The anointed one came and was cut off after 69 weeks of years, or 483 years from the time of Artaxerxes' decree. Quite an amazing guess? I think not. This is fulfilled prophecy. When God makes predictions this exact, down to not just the year, literally to the day when an event would take place, you can know for sure that this is God's hand. So, the question logically arises, if 69 of Daniel's 70 weeks were fulfilled by the time Jesus went to Calvary, what happened to the 70th week? Actually, there's been a long pause, or sometimes historians refer to this as a parenthesis in time, between the 69th and the 70th weeks. We are actually living in that parenthesis of time right now. The 70th week is yet to come. It's future, and it is generally understood to be a reference to the seven-year tribulation period. One week of seven years, that final 70th week. And to understand a bit more now about the 70th week, let's go back to Daniel 9 and pick it up from verse 26 again. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off. That's Jesus' crucifixion. And will have nothing. <clears throat> the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. That ruler, of course, is clearly referring to Titus of Rome, who led armies, surrounded Jerusalem, besieged it, and destroyed it, along with the sanctuary. The prophecy mentions both the city and the sanctuary. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue 
until the end and desolations have been decreed. Now, let's pause here. The cutting off of Messiah was predicted. The destruction of Jerusalem and the temple predicted, all fulfilled. But Daniel twice makes reference here in verse 26 to something different. He refers to the end. That's a different event entirely, and he's going to expand on that in the next verse, in verse 27. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. We've been talking about this a lot lately, and even in my message this past Sunday, uh, I referred to some of the things that Jesus predicted will be happening in these last days. As much as we don't like to see wars or famines or earthquakes or diseases and plagues and pestilences and a great falling away, Daniel hits the nail on the head here. He says, these desolations have been decreed. Things that we're witnessing in the world today are beyond our control, and I would even suggest they're beyond the reach of our prayers and our intercessions because they are decreed. We obviously cannot convince God to go against what he's already decreed. And these end times events are occurring with greater and greater frequency, greater and greater intensity, just as Jesus predicted they would. They would be like the beginnings of birth pains. As a woman is about to deliver, her pains become more intense and they become more frequent. And we can expect to see more wars, more earthquakes, more desolations, because as verse 26 states, they have been decreed. And war will continue until the end. Now, let's look very carefully, we're going to go through this very slowly, at verse 27. He, we're not told who he is, we'll try to figure that one out. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed, is poured out on him. Here again, notice the usage of the word end and the word decreed. These events will and must take place just as Daniel predicted because they have been decreed from the mouth of Almighty God. Now, after the 69 weeks and this long pause or parenthesis in between the 69th and the 70th week. The 70th week begins with a covenant. All we're told in verse 27 is he 
will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. That's for one week or one period of seven years. And as I pointed out on Sunday, we were talking a little bit about the seven-year tribulation. Very often in the book of Revelation, we find that it's divided into two equal halves of three and a half years, 42 months, 1,260 days. This is all a reflection on what Daniel prophesied here. Something is going to divide this seven-year period in half because in the middle of the seven, there's a change. Something happens with this covenant that is made with the people of Israel, and suddenly there is an end to sacrifice and offering and this abomination that causes desolation is set up in the temple of Jerusalem. You, of course, may recognize that phrase, abomination that causes desolation, because Jesus refers to that in the New Testament. And we'll look at that in a short while in Matthew chapter 24. This 70th week... The tribulation period is a time when God's special focus is back on the Israelites. Remember, back at verse 24, 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city. So although this may involve other people, the primary focus is on Israel and its people and specifically the city of Jerusalem. With the focus being back on Israel, this separates them as a people distinct both from the Gentiles and from the church. And this does not seem to be a time when the church, with its distinct calling and purpose, is still present. If the church were present, there would be no distinction between Jew and Gentile. And the clear conclusion that we come to from all of this is the church has already been removed from the earth. The Antichrist, we believe, is unveiled immediately after the rapture of the church the restrainer, the the Holy Spirit in the church, is removed, and he then makes this seven-year treaty or agreement with the Jews. Now, back to the pronoun he in verse 27. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, He will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. Now, we have to look at some other scriptures here and cross-reference them to try to arrive at a better understanding of who this individual is. 
we're told that he does three things. He makes a covenant with the people of Israel for this seven-year period. He breaks it after three and a half years and puts an end to sacrifice and offering. And thirdly, he actually sets up an abomination that causes desolation in the temple of Jerusalem. Now, according to Daniel 9.26, it says this Antichrist, so far all we know is he's a he, the Antichrist will be of the people who destroyed Jerusalem in A.D. 70. Well, that was clearly the Romans. What exactly that means, there are a number of theories and speculations, and that's about all we can do at this point, is speculate. But it does indicate that the Antichrist, this he who causes the abomination of desolation, is from that same people, the people who destroyed the the city and the sanctuary. Let me read again verse 26. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come, notice that, the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and then the end will come like a flood. He, that ruler, will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. The key in understanding who this individual is, is to look at other references in the New Testament to this event, this abomination that causes desolation. And the first place we want to look is in Matthew chapter 24, This entire chapter is on end times. It's on not only the rapture, but it also talks about events in this seven-year tribulation period. And I want to read in Matthew 24, starting at verse 15, we'll go all the way down to verse 22. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea, notice Jesus confirms this is going to happen in Judea. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, No one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Most everybody agrees that the portion of Scripture we just read 
is referring to the tribulation period and specifically events that are going to take place in and around Jerusalem. Now, to get a better ID on who this ruler, who this individual is, we turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 3 to 4. 2 Thessalonians, as you know, 1 and 2 Thessalonians deal a lot with end times events, the rapture and the tribulation. 2 Thessalonians 2, actually I will read from verse 1 to 4. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Paul is trying to straighten out uh, some confusion in Thessalonica. Some false letters had been circulating, saying the rapture had already take pl- taken place and that the brethren there were now already in the Great Tribulation. He says, no, can't possibly be, we're not there yet, because something needs to have happened. He says in verse 3, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day, the day of the Lord, the great tribulation, will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. This is a clear reference to this abomination of desolation that Daniel predicted, Jesus confirmed it in Matthew 24, where there will be a desecrating of the temple in Jerusalem, and this abomination will occur when this man of lawlessness actually goes into the temple, sets himself up in the temple, and proclaims himself to be God. Now, in Daniel's prophecy, we're told that this will happen in the second half of the week. The first three and a half years have already passed, In the middle of that seven-year period, he, we can now refer to him as the man of lawlessness, according to Paul's rendering here, will break that covenant and will eventually uh, commit this abomination that causes desolation by going into the temple and erecting a statue of himself, perhaps, or proclaiming himself to be God. Now, it's very possible that the way these events unfold is the following. The church is raptured. The overcoming male child is snatched up to the throne of God, as we were studying on Sunday in Revelation chapter 12. The woman is left behind 
for the first three and a half years of the tribulation. At the beginning of that seven-year period, the Antichrist initially appears to be a man of peace, and it would seem logical that he makes some kind of a peace treaty with Israel, and perhaps part of that treaty is an agreement to help them rebuild their temple in Jerusalem and even to restore temple sacrifice. Because remember, in the middle of the seven-week period, in the middle of the seven-year tribulation, he's going to put an end to sacrifice and offering and go into a wing of the temple. So very clearly, by the middle of the seven-year tribulation, there is a fully restored, fully rebuilt temple in Jerusalem where they have a priesthood and they've even resumed the temple sacrifices of old. This man of lawlessness is referred to variously in the New Testament. Revelation chapter 13 refers to him as the beast. The Apostle John refers to him in his epistle as the Antichrist. These are basically all titles for the same individual that Daniel simply refers to with the pronoun he. He is the beast, the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, who will be persecuting the woman, the Christians who were left behind from the rapture during the first three and a half years, but in the middle of the seven-year period, he breaks his treaty with Israel and turns his wrath and persecution on Israel. And it's during that second three-and-a-half-year period that we read about the two witnesses in Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 11 that leads up to the final end. Now, let me try to tie all this back together by reading Daniel 9, verse 27 again. He, the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. It's a seven-year treaty that he makes with Israel. In the middle of the seven, after three and a half years, that agreement is broken. He suddenly puts an end to sacrifice and offering in the temple, and it's logical to presume that during this first three and a half years, once the temple was fully rebuilt and restored, sacrifice and offering resumed. He now puts an end to all of that, and then on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. And we know from Revelation chapter 13 that ultimately what the beast, the Antichrist, wants and demands is worship from all of the inhabitants of the earth. And this seems to be perfectly in line with this abomination that causes desolation, which Paul says will occur 
when the beast, when the Antichrist literally sets up an image or a statue in the temple and demands worship. Let me read a few scriptures from Revelation chapter 13 concerning this beast. And we saw on Sunday in Revelation 12 that after the overcoming male child, the overcoming bride of Christ is caught up to the throne of God, the devil is hurled down to the earth. Prior to that, he was interested only in the male child that was about to be born. Once the male child is born, he is displaced from heaven, hurled down to the earth, and then he turns his fury and his wrath on the woman. And we learn much more detail about that persecution and that fury that is turned on the woman in chapter 13 of Revelation. And I'm going to read from verse 1. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea. Dragon, of course, is the devil. He's now been hurled down to the earth. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. So this beast, this man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is fully empowered with all of Satan's authority now. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon. Notice that. Men are now worshipping Satan because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. That's three and a half years, or 1,260 days. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints. These are the saints that are now on the earth after the rapture of the overcomers. They're referred to as saints. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. He was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. Verse 10. If anyone is to go into captivity, 
Into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed, and trust me, many will be killed during this time. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. Notice the emphasis on worship. They want worship. He performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Perhaps this setting up of the image is a reference to the abomination that causes desolation that will take place in the very temple of Jerusalem. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is six. Six, six. So, the 70th week is a clear reference to this seven-year tribulation period, which involves this Antichrist, the beast, and this covenant that is made specifically with Israel. It centers around Jerusalem and the temple in Jerusalem, There's a breaking of that covenant after three and a half years, and then great desolations are decreed even for Jerusalem and the Jewish people, referred to by Jeremiah as the time of Jacob's trouble. This abomination that causes desolation, it requires, first of all, that there be a temple in Jerusalem, the ending of sacrifice and offering implies that there will be a fully operational temple in Jerusalem with priests offering animal sacrifices once again, much as we read in the Old Testament. And Jesus, we saw in Matthew 24, not only confirms this portion of Daniel 9 as being prophetic concerning the end times and more specifically the tribulation period, he confirms that it was spoken through the prophet Daniel and that it would take place in Judea. We read that in Matthew 
chapter 24. So, summarizing this short but profound and far-reaching prophecy in just a few little verses, Daniel 9, 24 to 27, Daniel predicts the exact timing of the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the temple in the time of Nehemiah and Ezra. He predicts to the exact day the coming of the Anointed One and more specifically when he would be cut off. He predicts the destruction once again of Jerusalem after the cutting off of Messiah, the Anointed One. And he predicts this final seven-week tribulation period that will take place sometime after the cutting off of Messiah and the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. I believe very firmly we are rapidly nearing the 70th week. And the only thing that needs to take place is the rapture of the church. All of the other pieces of the puzzle are in place. Like a chessboard, all of the pawns and knights and rooks and kings and queens have all been placed strategically so that once the church is gone, once that restrainer that Paul refers to a little further along there in 2 Thessalonians 2, once that restraint is removed, then the Antichrist can be fully revealed and this seven-year program with Israel can begin. Surely these are times for us to take the Word of God seriously, take our salvation seriously, and as Jesus said, not just get ready, be ready, for He's coming at a time when we think not. He's coming at a day, at an hour, when we're not aware. So we need to be watchful, we need to be careful, we need to be hoping, looking up, and expecting the soon return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And Jesus' final response to that plea is given in Revelation chapter 22, verse 20. Yes, I am coming soon. And our response is, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, let me summarize this section that we've just completed on fulfilled prophecy, and then let me try to bring this entire study to a conclusion. You know, modern forecasters of weather, political elections, sporting events, they often speak of the odds or chances of certain predictions coming to pass. For instance, we're told there's a 30% chance of rain or the odds of a sports team winning a certain match are 5 to 1. Well, if we use the same rules of mathematical probability, we can begin to look at the odds, the chances of some 300 predictions concerning Messiah 
all being fulfilled in Jesus and just being lucky guesses. And to make it simple, we're just going to look at three prophecies. Remember, there are 300. So you do the math. If you want to do the other 297, be my guess. But I think just doing three will begin to show you how unlikely it is that these things are just chance events. For instance, number one, we saw that it was clearly predicted that Messiah would come through Judah. Jacob, the father of Judah, predicted that. In Genesis 49.10, 600 years before David was crowned king. So, Jacob had a 1 in 12 chance of predicting that the Messiah was going to come through his son Judah. Okay, 1 in 12 chance. Now, Micah we saw in Micah 5, he gave that famous prediction pinpointing the city where Messiah would have to be born. He couldn't just be born in any old city. It was predicted that he would be born in Bethlehem of Judah. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Well, at the time Micah made that prediction, and I might add, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, when Micah made that prediction, there was a 1 in 200 chance of guessing Bethlehem to be the correct birthplace. And that's just assuming that Messiah was to be born in one of the 200 towns in the land of Israel. He could have come anywhere in the world, but let's keep it simple and let's be conservative in our estimate. So, 1 in 12 chance that Jacob picked Judah, a 1 in 200 chance that Micah picked Bethlehem as the birthplace. Now, let's turn our attention back to what we've just studied tonight, Daniel's prediction about the time of Messiah's coming in Daniel 9. Now, he predicted Messiah's coming about five or six centuries ahead of time. Let's keep it conservative and say five centuries or 500 years. From our present vantage point, the world has had more than 25 centuries from the time that Daniel lived. So, starting with the time Daniel gave his prophecy in Daniel 9 until the present, we have way beyond 2,500 years or 25 centuries. So, in order for Daniel even to pick the correct century when the Messiah was going to come, there was a 1 in 25 chance that he would pick the correct century. However, as we saw, Daniel didn't just predict the century, he nailed it down to the exact day. So, if we take the 
2,500 years, multiply them by 360 days in a year, there's a 1 in 900,000 chance of Daniel guessing the exact date of the cutting off of Messiah. Okay? Now, if you remember anything from your math class about calculating probabilities, when you have multiple events, the probability of all of those events occurring, you have to multiply the probability of each separate event times the probability of all of the other events. So, to calculate the probability of just these three predictions coming to pass, number one, Messiah would come through Judah, number two, he would be born in Bethlehem, and number three, he would be cut off in Jerusalem around April 6th, A.D. 32. So we take a 1 in 12 chance times a 1 out of 200 chances, or just to predict the right century, let's be conservative, 1 out of 25 centuries, that would be a 1 in 60,000 chance. 60,000 to 1 odds of those three being lucky guesses, and again, this is very conservative, just for Daniel to guess the right century for the cutting off of Messiah. If we go all the way and calculate the probabilities of Jacob predicting the Messiah would come through his son Judah, Micah predicting Messiah being born in Bethlehem, and Daniel predicting the very date in which Messiah would be cut off in A.D. 32, we get a probability of 1 in 2 billion, 160 million chances. 1 in 2 billion chance of just those three predictions being lucky guesses. Can you imagine if we were to carry this out for all of the other predictions that we've looked at and literally calculated the probability of all 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled just being the luck of the draw, the probability approaches near zero. Practically zero chance apart from supernatural divine intervention. And that's exactly what we've been talking about in this entire section on fulfilled prophecy. Fulfilled prophecy is a powerful testimony to the inspiration and the infallibility of the scriptures coupled with the more than 500 eyewitnesses who saw Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and resurrected on the third day, his 100% fulfillment of every messianic prophecy in scripture leaves humanity without any 
excuse. And to quote the Roman soldier who stood there by the cross after Jesus breathed his last breath, truly, this was the Son of God. Let me read again a portion that we've read several times throughout this study, and I love these verses. They're very powerful. From the prophet Isaiah, reading from Isaiah 46, and again from Isaiah 48. Just listen to the power of these words. This is God speaking to us. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. What I have said, that will I bring about. What I have planned, that will I do. I foretold the former things long ago. My mouth announced them, and I made them known. Then suddenly I acted, and they came to pass. Therefore, I told you these things long ago. Before they happened, I announced them to you, so that you could not say, my idols did them. You have heard these things, look at them all. Will you not admit them? Wow. In conclusion, we started off this whole study with a very important scripture in 1 Peter 3, verse 15. I'm going to read it again. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. We have many reasons to believe, logical reasons for our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ. As we've pointed out repeatedly, Christianity is supported by overwhelming historical facts, historical documentation. We have eyewitness accounts recorded for us, written down, not only in history books, but in the book of all books, the Bible. We talked extensively about the scriptures, the authenticity of the Old Testament scriptures, the authenticity of the New Testament scriptures, over 20,000 handwritten, complete manuscripts of the New Testament from the first century have been preserved for us. The Dead Sea Scrolls that were found uh, just in the 1950s, almost a perfect, exact copy of the Old Testament very similar to the Old Testament you're holding in your hands tonight. So we have the Old Testament, we have the New Testament, authentic, very carefully preserved for us. It's a book of integrity, and it's an inspired book. The Word of God in the Scriptures speaks for itself. It bears witness to the person of Jesus Christ, that everything he claimed about himself, 
He fulfilled all of the prophecies concerning the Messiah were fulfilled in Jesus. We even have the overwhelming testimony of the creation. The sun, the moon, the stars, they are speaking to us day and night, declaring to us the invisible qualities of the Creator, His power and His wisdom, so that, as Paul says in Romans 1, we are without excuse. And finally, as we've concluded tonight, the many, many prophecies, not just the Messianic prophecies, but so many other prophecies in the Bible that have already been fulfilled. And I will end on this final note. Daniel's 70th week is still future prophecy. If I were you, I wouldn't gamble on him being wrong. Everything else he said was right. It's no longer prophecy, it's history. And the things that we're witnessing in these last days, the wars, the great falling away, the persecutions, the earthquakes, Ebola and chikungunya and all kinds of new diseases that are plaguing the earth, all these things have been decreed and the end has been decreed by God. There will be a seven-year tribulation period followed by a 1,000-year a millennial reign on earth followed by an eternal kingdom of God. Let's believe God. Let's know the reasons why we believe. Let's be ready to give an answer, give a logical explanation to unbelievers, to people around us, why they should also believe in this God, believe in this Bible, and believe in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, you've given us many infallible proofs. You've given us such an overwhelming witness, both from the creation that you designed and formed all around us, O oh God. We see your handiwork. We see your design, your intelligence. We see your fingerprints on everything that you've made, evidence that leads us to you. And God, you've given us the scriptures. You've given us historical eyewitness accounts of all of the details of creation, the whole process that began with man's fall leading up to his redemption, the sending of your son into this world, his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and even his promised soon return. Lord, we believe and we are sure that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. We believe that he is coming very soon, that we are living in the last days, and we are about to enter that 70th week of Daniel. But praise God for the blessed hope you've given to us, that there will be an escaping from those coming times of tribulation. If we will watch and pray, and be ready. You said we can escape all these things that are about to come and stand before the Son of Man. God, bless this word 
to each and every listener, those that are on the phone or the internet tonight, those that may be listening in days to come through recordings that are made. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would strengthen our faith, cause us to believe in even more than we've ever believed in the Bible, in the Word of God, in prophecy, and in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. Now, Lord, may your peace and grace be multiplied to each and every one listening. Keep us as the apple of your eye. In Jesus' name, we do pray. Amen.